Guys, welcome to uh, Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John. If it is your first time here, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. We are continuing this series that we are, in fact, calling Not Normal. What we're doing is uh, we're looking at this idea that Scripture says that we as Christians, and many of us in this room are Christians, and if you're not, glad you're here, kind of focusing on the Christians in this series, that we as Christians are to be different than the world that we live in. Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, in, you're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase, in the world, not of the world. What does that mean? That means you are to live in society, you are to work in society, but you are to be different than society. And so each week, we are examining what it means to be different. Like, that's what we're called to be. Okay, what does that look like? What does it look like to go against the grain, to be not normal, as we've been calling? Last week, we took a look at what it means to have not normal faith particularly in the face of trials and storms, kind of the, the ugly stuff that we all kind of go through. And we learned that ultimately God uses those storms in our lives to draw us closer to him, to transform us, and to actually strengthen our faith. And so if you are someone here today who is going through something incredibly difficult, okay, you're, you're someone who would say, you know, I actually feel like my faith is being tested. Maybe you, you would even say, I feel like I've lost God kind of in the midst of this storm. If you feel like that, I would encourage you to head to the website, if you have time, and give last week a listen, because you might find it beneficial. Today, what I want to do, as Adam alluded to, I want to talk about what it means to have not normal values. What does it look like to have standards and values that are, quite frankly, very different from the culture around you? Now, I'm going to be honest, and I told the volunteers earlier today, today is going to be a challenging day. Okay, every once in a while, we kind of we have these issues that we talk about that are more challenging than others. Today is going to be one of those days because I'm going to say some things that you might not want to hear, okay, but you got to hear it. That, that's really why you're here, to hear these hard things sometimes. Because Peter today is going to talk to us about our values, about the way that we live, and more importantly, about changing the things that we do now that we are Christians. The biggest obstacle I think that we face when it comes to living out and embracing these not normal values is gonna be our desire to fit in. This desire that we all have inside of us to look like everybody else. Our desire to do what everyone else is doing. This desire that's in us to just kind of blend in to the people and the culture around us. But as we talked about last week, God did not call us to blend in. God called us to be different, to be not normal. So Peter kind of begins this conversation about our values like this. He says, so, First Peter, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. I love that last line. You didn't know any better then, right? There was this time in your life before you had been transformed by Jesus. There was this time in your life that you were doing things that, quite frankly, you just didn't know you shouldn't be doing. There was a time in your life you were, you were living in a way that you didn't know you shouldn't be living. But now, Meaning, now that you know Jesus, now that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now that you, you've become a new creation in him, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Peter is saying there was a time in your life when you didn't know any better, but now that you do know better, be holy in all that you do. And he keeps repeating this, be holy. In all that you do, be holy in all that you do. Be holy because God is holy. 
Here's what I want you to notice. What I want you to notice is what the text does not say. Right? And what it does not say is what so many people, and maybe you're one of them, what so many people want to believe it says. And it says so many of us live our lives. I want you to notice that Peter did not say, be happy in all you do. Many Christians, particularly American Christians, believe that God's highest calling and purpose, shall we say, for us is our happiness. But when you read scripture, what becomes abundantly clear is that God's priority is, in fact, our holiness, not our happiness. Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say that God does not want you to be happy. According to scripture, according to Jesus himself, they want you to live life and life to the fullest, but God's priority is your holiness, not your happiness. And that's where so many Christians kind of get it backwards. And when we get it backwards, what happens is it, it kind of pushes us to create what I'm going to call a theology of happiness. And we think, well, since God wants me to be happy, then I'm able to do something that would otherwise be wrong or unwise. For example, since God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage, then by all means, I can just walk out the door because I'm no longer happy. Since God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy because I don't have that thing, then by all means, I can beg, borrow, steal, go into debt to get this thing because I want this thing and this thing is going to make me happy. The theology of happiness makes us say, well, I know what God's word says, dot, dot, dot. Now, here's the thing. We may never actually use the word I know, but come on, you know. And even if you're not a Bible scholar and you don't know for sure that the word of God says it, you know. You just, that's what the whole, you just, you just know. I know what God's word says about this, whatever this is. It's different for everybody. I know what God's word says about this, but... God knows my story. He knows my situation. And God wants me to be happy. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a guy. Adam was there for it, so I just wanted to see, do I have this right? And verbatim, this man said to me, I know what the Bible says about sex, but God's okay with my situation. To which I replied, wow. I had no idea God was cutting side deals with people. This is, new, this is news to me, right? That didn't go over well. I don't even care anymore, okay? Now, while we're on the topic of sex, I'll just say this. Sex and relationships is where God seems to be cutting the most side deals, okay? And it's like, yeah, I mean, I know the Bible's like super clear about what marriage looks like. And like, I know the Bible's like really clear about sex, but God knows my situation. And he's okay with it because he wants me to be happy. Ah, got it. Message received. When you get involved in this theology of happiness, as I'm going to call it, it allows you to personally justify, this is huge, to personally justify something that would otherwise be wrong, unwise, or not found in Scripture. Because when we believe above all else, God wants you to be happy, then suddenly what happens is discomfort, delay, risk, inconvenience, sacrifice, going without, couldn't possibly be God's will. Couldn't possibly be God's will for your life. And suddenly, without even knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things and the most deceptive of all false gods, self. Everything is about me. 
And God is supposed to get me what I want. And God is supposed to make me happy. And what we need to understand, and this is a tough pill to swallow for American Christians, is that God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And he has called us to be holy. So what does this word holy actually mean? The Greek word for holy is this word hagios, and it's translated into to be different, to be set apart. That's what holy means. In other words, now that you're a Christian, right, and you are to be holy, now that you're a Christian, you should look markedly different from the world around you. That when you follow Jesus, your life should look different. And if you're a Christian and your life doesn't look any different, you're kind of doing what everybody else is doing, there's a solid chance that you're not following Jesus. Now, I didn't say you don't believe in him. And I didn't say you didn't love him. I'm just saying in the moment, you might not be following him. You might be following something else. We are called to be holy. That's why Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Peter knows us. He's one of us. He knows our nature. He knows how easy it is for us to slip back into the old ways. It's why I can stand here right now and preach the gospel to you, and yet in my drive home in about an hour, this same mouth will be weaving a tapestry of obscenities at the horrible drivers around me. Because it's very easy, right? I'm not even out of the parking lot and I'm dropping them, okay? It's just, it's the old nature inside of us. It's very, my wife is like, you know, if the people of DHC saw you drive, they'd be fine. Thank you very much. Just as bad as I am. <sighs> anyway, we, so we've got our own natures warring against us, trying to pull us down, but we also have a spiritual enemy, a very real one, who would love nothing more than to see you slip up, to fall back into sin, to slip back into the old ways. I want you to listen to Jesus describe your spiritual enemy, Satan. Here's what he says. Jesus, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, I love this line, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and he's the father of lies. Those are the words of Jesus describing your spiritual enemy. So how does your spiritual enemy, Satan, get you to slip back into the old ways. He's subtle, and he's devious, and he comes at you the very same way that he came at Eve all the way in the Garden of Eden. All he does is pose a question. Did God really say? Did God really say, Eve, you shouldn't eat that fruit? And you know how that story ended. Just one question, just to twist the truth just enough to pull her and us away from the things of God. This question right here, I'm going to argue, while so innocent in its appearance, is the one question luring people away from God's standard of holiness. And I hear this question all the time, almost daily. Did God really say, fill in the blank, whatever it is, flavor of the day. Here's what I know about this question. Generally speaking, and I love to generalize, generally speaking, when someone asks this question, did God really say, right? For example, did God really say you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage? I mean, is there a verse in there? Did God really say the goal, right? Their goal isn't to get closer to God. They're not conducting a Bible study. I'll tell you that much. Their goal isn't to get closer to God. Their goal is to get closer to sin. And what they're really asking is, 
Where's the line? Because I want to get as close as humanly possible to that line of sin. I don't want to cross over, but I want to know how close I can get to it. Did God really say that this right here is a sin? And the new question I hear asked a lot, and it's really almost more deceptive than did God really say, is this one. Did God really mean that, though? Whatever that is. In other words, sure, Scripture says it. I mean, I'm reading it, you're reading it, but did God really mean it? Again, right out of Satan's playbook. I know God said you would die, Eve, if you ate that fruit, but surely you won't actually die. Did he really mean what he said? And so we ask this question, and with it we end up throwing out huge principles of Scripture, pretending, hoping, that God didn't really mean it when he said it simply because it impacts our holiness and our happiness, I mean, and how we want to live our lives. Now, Paul, in a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, predicted that this would happen. He said this, for there's going to come a time, and I think we're living in it right now, where people won't listen to the truth. Other translations say they won't endure the truth, which is even more powerful. We're not going to stand for it anymore. They're, they're no longer interested in, in listening to what God actually says. They won't endure listening to what God actually asks of us, for there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but, it says, will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. And if you're not picking up what Paul is putting down, he wraps it up by saying this. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. When you read the New Testament, Scripture kind of paints this picture that we as Christians are to die to ourselves, okay? In other words, we are to forego the selfish, physical, uh, egotistical desires of this world. And we are to wholeheartedly, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, chase after and seek God's will for our life. And yet Paul says right here, many of us, blithely, which means casually, cast aside God's call to be holy, to be different, to be not normal in order that we can just keep doing whatever it is that we want to do because it makes us happy. But we are called to be holy. So you might ask, why does it even matter? I mean, honestly, why does it even matter? Let me wrap up by showing you what Peter says, and you can decide for yourself why it matters. He says this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. God did not use gold or silver to rescue you from your old life, to save you from yourself, to set you free from the power of sin and death. So what did God use to ransom you? It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. It was the sinless son of God who set you free. It was Jesus that pointed you to life. It was the risen Messiah who forgave your sins and made you anew. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. That's incredible. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. And through him, that's huge, through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. What we need to understand today is this. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. 
Okay, you can't be good enough on your own to sort of make your way to Jesus and please him. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Rather, as Peter is laying out for us today, knowing Christ is our pathway to holiness. It is through him, as he says, through him and his power that we begin to change. And so what happens is, as you become a new person in Christ, when you look at the values of this world and how everybody else is, is doing things, it's no longer, well, I don't get to do that. I wish I could do that because your heart's being transformed. See, as you get into God's word, as your prayer life deepens, as you get closer to God, it's no longer, I don't get to do those things anymore. Now it's, I don't want to do those things. I, I, don't, I don't want to do anything that, that is displeasing to God. That because if Jesus is in my life, I want to live a life that brings glory to God. This right here is your new desire. Your new desire is to be different. You now desire to have values and standards that are, that are, that are not normal. And here's the best part. The longer you know Christ, the less you care about what others think. You, you, you no longer care if they laugh. You no longer care if they criticize because you are no longer living for you. You're living for Christ, and he has called you to be holy. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So today Peter was very clear. As Christians, God has called us to be holy in everything we do, which means our values and the things that we believe and the way that we do things will not be normal. Now, before I get to the practical today, I want to kind of set it up, prime the pump, so to speak, by asking you a question. So here's the question I have for you. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you? Now, before you answer, just, just take a second, really think about this. Do you really honestly and actually in your heart of hearts believe that God knows what's best for you? Because if you did, then who would you always run to? God. If you really did believe this, then who would you always listen to? God. Now, just for a moment, I want you to imagine that God really does know what's best for you. And I want you to imagine that he actually communicated to you what to do and how to live and what your values should look like. And then I want you to imagine a world in which you actually did it. Would that not significantly improve your life? Now let me up the ante. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you? Wait for it. Because what I'm going to say next is what challenges so many American Christians. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you? Uh, hold on. Listen. I, I understand he's God. And he made this world. I get that. But. When it comes to my life and my future and my happiness, I actually know what's best for me. I know what will fulfill me. I know what will satisfy me. And God would say, no, you, you don't. I made you. I know you intimately. I sent my son to die for you. I know you 
better than you. I know better than you what will fulfill you. I know better than you what will satisfy you, what will make you happy. And most importantly, I know what will make you holy. God knows what is best for us. He is calling us to be different. He is calling us to be holy as he is holy. The question is, will we listen? So with that, I got a couple of prompts for you that I want you to be thinking about this week and praying about. The first one is this. When was the time you put your happiness above God's call for holiness? Think about that. When was it? Maybe last night. I don't know. When was it that you knew? I mean, come on, you knew. You knew, you knew, you knew that this decision, this choice, this relationship, this whatever, you knew it wasn't what God wanted for you, but you wanted it. And you were absolutely sure it would make you happy. And you were absolutely sure it would, make you, it would bring you joy and it would satisfy your needs. And maybe in the moment it did. But I'm going to bet long-term, big picture, the outcome you ultimately experienced was not what you expected. Second question. What are some of the biggest ways that you are different from the world around you? And I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking like inward spiritual transformation. Transformation. So it's not like, well, I've stopped cursing. That just takes willpower. Anybody can do that, okay? You don't need Jesus to stop cursing. I'm talking like I've been changed from the inside out kind of a thing. I have a new heart. The fruit of the Spirit are growing inside of me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I look different because I am different, and I am different because of Jesus. I want you to spotlight those things in your life, and I want you to celebrate what God is doing in you. And then lastly, and this is the big one, and this is why we're here today. In what area does God want you? And when I say you, I mean you to be different. Now, here's what I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that for someone here today or watching online or listening in the future, I'm going to guess that the Holy Spirit was speaking pretty loudly to you. And it's been uncomfortable a couple of minutes. And you're not really liking this message too much. Because there are areas in your life that you know. Come on, you know. You're not living for God. And maybe you've come up with all kinds of excuses as to why for you it's okay. And you ask the question, well, did God really say? And when someone showed you, you go, well, did he really mean? Look, we're friends here, okay? You can do all the theological gymnastics that you want to do so that you can do whatever it is that you want to do, but the truth is this, God loves you. God loves you, and God wants the best for you. And he has called you to live a different kind of life. So, will you trust him? Will you live differently? Will you choose to be not normal? Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I've been doing this long enough to know that this is one of those messages that we hear and, and we immediately think of somebody else and we, and, and we try to take ourselves out of it, God, but I pray that we would not do that today. That we would just sit here in this light that you are shining into our hearts, God, 
because you have challenged us to live differently, to look differently. You sent your son into this world to die a criminal's death on our behalf, and you have called us to be holy, not just in some things, but in everything. God, I pray that today you would convict us, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would put your finger directly on that issue in our lives where we are living for ourselves and we are not living for you. And I pray, God, that not only you would convict us, but you would also give us the strength to do something about it. Because if we had the strength to change on our own, we already would have, but we can't and we haven't. Empower us, Lord, to be different. Help us to look more like you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty, powerful, and merciful name.